Okay, let's begin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our Twitter Spaces. Um, I'm Vivian Lin, host of Web3 The Mystified, and also a big advocate of Web3. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to have such a great time learning about Web3 and beyond. Now, today, we're going to discuss the topic of the multi-chain ecosystem and IBC, or Inter-Blockchain Communications. I know this might sound a bit technical, but let me give you a bigger picture. Now, just imagine the future is multi-chain. Well, some might say that it's already happening. So different blockchains are acting like cities, just like we have like New York as the financial hub and Los Angeles as the entertainment capital for the U.S. And also in China, we have Shanghai for the financial center, Shenzhen for innovation, and Beijing as the political hub. Now, in the crypto space, perhaps, I'm just saying, maybe, like, Ethereum will become the home for institutional investors, and, say, Near will become, like, the center for dApps, and probably Solana or BSC for gaming. And while smaller blockchains could also play an active role, like Polkadot, Cosmos, you know, could also have their own niches. Since we all have all the cities, we know that we need to make sure the flow of capital and information is possible and secure. So that highlights the importance of IBC. And today we're honored to have some of the most knowledgeable people in the multi-chain and cross-chain space to join us. Now, um, let me give you a quick intro and I'll let them tell you more about themselves and what they do. Now, first of all, let's welcome Jeffrey. Um, Jeffrey is the ambassador for Cosmos China and also ambassador for Irish Net community. And Jeffrey is very active um, in the multi-chain space. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you, Wei. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeff. Uh, actually, I, uh, right now I'm uh, uh, I'm a tech lead of the Hashkey Capital. But just as the introduction for Wei, I'm uh, also the ambassador of the Ch uh, Cosmo China community and also the Airsnet. So very happy to be here today and to share my uh, ideas about the IBC and the interchain ecosystem. Great. Nice to have you. And congratulations on your new role. And and looking forward to hearing more about it. Um, okay, let's see. We also have, um, let's see whether um, Charlie has make it. Okay. Um, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so we also have um, Charlie Fay, an IBC engineer at the Interchain Foundation. Um, this is an organization that focuses on interchain research, development, and promotion of open and decentralized network technologies like Cosmos. Welcome, Charlie. Thanks. Hey, Charlie. Um, are you joining us from from Europe? Um, yeah. So we are based out of Berlin. Uh, interchain company has uh, has our head office here. We do have contributors coming in also from the US and uh, from other time zones, but primarily we are mostly based out of uh, out of Berlin. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for joining us such early hours. Oh, it's not that early anymore, probably. No, it's, uh, it's late <laughs> okay. afternoon. <laughs> okay, it's late afternoon. I'm sorry, I got mixed up. Okay, messed up. Okay, okay. Um, 
All right. And we also, I think some of the guests might be still on the way. Um, so let, let's just, um, you know, let's just keep going while probably they will join later. And we also have um, Bert from a full stack developer from Autopers. Hi, Bert. Hello. Hello. Hello, Vivi. Hello, everybody. Great. And, and we, we, I know that we got a lot, a lot to talk about and, and, and Bert is with the development team um, at Autopus Network, um, a Web3 infrastructure. And also our, our session is also powered by Autopus Network. And, and welcome, welcome, Bert. And also we have Sheldon. Um, Sheldon is a tech lead uh, also for Autopus Network. Hi, Sheldon. Hi, baby. How are you doing? Pretty good. Welcome. Um, so, okay, we also have our old friends. We have Luana, Kelsen, Mark um, with us, and just to 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 share and share the conversations. And welcome also, Luana, Mark, and Kelsen. Thank you, Vivi. Good to be back with you. <laughs> Thank you, Vivi. So happy to be here. Great. Um, all right. So, okay, now let's kick off the session now and we'll have an open discussion with the audience in about 45 minutes. Now I'd like to open the panel with a question. I know that all our guests today probably might share the similar vision of the multi-chain future. So where exactly do you think that we stand right now in the multi-chain ecosystem? And um, let's see, let's start from, let's start from Charlie. Um, I think, so I think the multi-space, uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting that people talk a lot about, you know, like the multi-chain future, um, or they kind of talk about how it, how it's happening right now. Um, I think the initial Cosmos thesis that, uh, underwrote the white paper, you know, back a few years ago, and as well as, uh, what underpins the vision of IBC as, as we built it as well. And, um, as we're continuing to build is that, um, there has always been kind of the idea of of a multi-chain present or so like a multi-chain reality. I mean, I think when you open up the Twitter space, you you made this metaphor between different cities who have different specialties. Um, and I think that this is very much, as in real life, something that we see happening also in the crypto space. Um, and as someone who's working on IBC, I think the exciting thing for us is to think about the spaces between all of these different um, specialized zones and kind of like groups of people working on specialized products and think, okay, how can we make um, how can we make ways to communicate uh, for people across these spaces? And I know that right now a lot of the talk is about bridges, um, and a lot of the the vocabulary people use is is around the idea of bridging different zones. But I kind of want to push forward the idea in this space that um, it's not just about bridges, as in we're not just concerned around about moving assets back and forth behind between these, these cities. Um, obviously, when you think about a city, you think about roads and, and people moving you know, objects or goods or trade across these borders to, from one city to another. But I also want to encourage the thought of what is underlying the movement of these goods and that's specifically, you know, product models, economies, and kind of like these intangible assets, which in the crypto space we think about as 
something like an execution of a transaction across different chains. So something we're really excited about IBC as a general interoperability protocol is that um, we really give the ability not only to think about bridging assets, but also to think about actually creating an interchain native product model, similar to how global supply chains right now operate, regardless of, of kind of like physical geographic borders. That's such a great point. I think, um, yeah, we're not only, I think that is something very inspiring uh, for, for me already. Um, Charlie just pinpointed um, it's not about, like when we talk about interoperability, it's not about just moving assets across bridge, but there's like some underlying product models and economic models and, and just like from cities to cities or countries to countries, right, in a um, geographical kind of point of view that we're not only just moving, sending goods across um, all these different regions, but we have a whole kind of economic model and uh, system that make everything function much better. Um, I think that's that's a really great point that we can we can come back to and discuss more in details. And just to um, carry on this conversation, I would like to ask Jeffrey. Jeffrey, what do you think? Where do we stand in the IBC space? Oh, yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, well, I think uh, for the current IBC stage, I think I, I think the whole, uh, I think the whole ecosystems, uh, customers uh, teams has made a great job. Uh, when we looking back to a few years ago, that uh, like uh, uh, the customer ecosystem, all the teams has already designed and implemented uh, very successfully the IBC particle so that we can see uh, when users can transfer tokens from different networks within the uh, customer's ecosystem right now. So when you experience some of the IBC transfer tokens, it's quite, I think that's a, a quite a great user experience that we, you can transfer tokens uh, from like from the customer's hub to maybe Osmosis and other networks. So yeah. So, uh, I think that's a quite maybe a demonstration that um, the the whole works are so, uh, so great, and uh, that, that's but but that might be just the the first step of the uh, interchain world. So for next, we can see that all the maybe the IPC particle also uh, get some uh, uh, maybe the evolutions right now like the. Uh, like last month, the uh, Cosmos Hub has already enabled the IB, uh, the interchain count abilities, and we can also looking forward to the uh, interchain staking. So that, that is also a very impo uh, important uh, important features for the IBC protocol and also the whole ecosystem. So lots of things could be expected, uh, just like the Charlie said, uh, as just like maybe token transfer is uh, is just the beginning. We can. Definitely, can looking forward to uh, to many of the new features and also the ability built upon the IBC Park. Mm, that's wonderful. Yeah, we are just at the beginning of like like something full of potentials, and I would like to discuss with you guys more on on what are those features coming up, right? And okay, um, let's let's go to Sheldon. Sheldon, would you like to um, share your views on on this question? Sure, I'll, uh, I'll I'll keep it fairly short. I mean, I I, I can definitely uh, you know uh, sort of agree with our two guests that like yes, it's you know it's roughly accurate and 
Um, I'll, I'll add to that that there is a you know human relationship that is necessary for having the agreement across chains to to manage connections like IBC. And yes, overtly, that means we need data standards that we don't have. That that's you know a way more complicated conversation uh, to have, not just across IBC, but across other multi-chain protocols, across you know all ecosystems. You know, is there a standard format for NFTs that I could ever assume to be passed across two ecosystems? I'm not sure. We might not get to that point. Is that necessary? No, probably not. The the media and the metadata are the thing. So if you can encapsulate that, then who cares? So. In a nutshell, um, I think that there is a, a lot of interesting human relationships that arise to sort of support these connections to, you know, support collaboration across ecosystems. And, you know, like we're saying, a lot of that is economic, uh, a bunch of that's going to be application data. And, you know, I, I like to think of it in, in terms of trust is, you know, what does it mean for, you know, one ecosystem to have an IBC endpoint from another Uh does that mean that they're not willing to pop up another one or that it's considered rude for them to make the next IBC connection for that asset? You know, wrapping an asset twice when you go between ecosystems is, you know, it's very, very, very hard to maintain, uh, you know, I don't want to say economic compatibility, but uh, a level of honesty across multiple economies. So um, I'm, I'm excited to see what the sort of cultural components are of that, uh, not just because everyone's acting like, you know, Cosmos versus Polkadot versus Near. But um, because there are already, in, you know, just inherently different cultures in each one of these ecosystems, and you know, we're we're all trying to get the same things done effectively, so should be interesting. Yeah, definitely, it's going to be very interesting. And okay, um, Bert, would you like to share your views on on and where do you see we stand um, in terms of IBC? And I know that you and the rest of the Autoverse development team have worked very hard for 18 months to complete this IBC milestone too. And and yeah, I would like you to tell us more about it and also um, your views on, on this space. Hmm, thank you. Thank you, Vivi. Uh, first of all, I would like to share the importance and influence of, of the development of this milestone. Uh, firstly, uh, the milestone two development is the most part of this project. Uh, it's a profound step to bridge the ecosystem of substrate and clusters. Uh, because packet transfer down in milestone two is the most fundamental layer in IPC, uh, which is similar to the transportation layer in TCP IP protocol, where applications can be built upon. And secondly, uh, it is the contribution to the open source community. It basically means that uh, any subtrade-based chain can use the subtrade IBC packet to communicate seamlessly with Cosmos and vice versa. And let me further elaborate this. Uh, a basic IBC bridge is composed of two chains to communicate and the relayer to relay messages in between. The relayer is developer based on the Hermes phone informal system. Uh, before milestone two, the relayer only supports Cosmos SDK-based chain. Uh, so the first challenge and the most difficult challenge is adding support of subtray in the relayer. 
this includes support of additional consensus type, uh, blockchain runtime, and RPC interface. Uh, they are invoked through the life cycle of massive relay. Uh, during the development, we cooperated closely with informal system team, uh, especially Adi and Andy, and resolved most of the issues. Although some are still pending, uh, they are scheduled in the first release of the relay. It's a good start for multi-transport of IPC relay and provides a concrete example for the integration of other chains like uh, event-based chain. These basically are the challenges and the process of the milestone two. Um, and as for the for the IPC uh, in the in the multi-chain uh, protocol world, uh, I I would say IPC is the um, IPC and layer layer zero are I think mean, only two generic and trustless multi-chain protocol, and and IPC and Layer two achieve trustless uh, via different approaches. Uh, IBC IBC achieve this via the uh, light client verification, and layer zero did the via uh, Oracle 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 screen of the block header, and both has clones, pros and cons, and. Mm, I, I'm, 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 I'm still watching the, uh, while developing IBC, I'm also watching the, the, the process of the layer zero. Yeah, that's I it. I guess I, I just want to uh, maybe add on to the, the comment about layer zero in the sense yeah, that, thank um, you. yeah, I think that, uh, so I think layer zero is approaching, um, as Bert said, the transport, or I guess like, as, as Bert said, there are two layers to um, interoperability. The first being the transport. It's like, okay, if I have a packet and I want to send it to another blockchain, how do I know that this transaction actually happened on the sending chain whenever I receive it on the receiving chain? Um, and then the second being like, when I get the packet on the receiving chain, how do I understand what data is inside the packet? So um, as, as Bert was saying, and actually as Sheldon mentioned before, um, the second application side, like how do I understand what's in the packet? This is this has as much to do with you know technical interfaces as it has to do with the community's understanding of what data is contained inside that packet and kind of like how to handle that data once it's it's on the receiving chain. Um, but the first layer, which is the transport layer, and uh, which I think is, is the main real difference between layer zero and IBC, as I think layer zero will, has indicated they will use IBC application semantics, is that um, the layer zero Oracle setup is, is uh, I mean, they're using Oracles to grab block headers, but it is still, I would say, in our definition of trust, um, not a trustless system in the sense that uh, the relayer and the oracle and the layer zero setup will will both be trusted um, parties that will deliver basically the block headers to the other side. 
Uh, whereas in IBC, the the clients themselves uh, kind of like verify the headers and the relayers just simply um, have the job of passing passing these packets back and forth. And uh, everything is is rather trustless and permissionless in that way. So I just wanted to like quickly clarify that um, as the main difference. Yeah, thank you so much, Charlie, for 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 unpack um the, for unpacking this information for us. And I know that this is like a quite a technical panel. Um, I, I myself, I'm not a technical person. I understand the importance and the bigger picture. So I think it's very important that uh, we have you, the experts, to kind of unpack those very technical issues in in a kind of a layman terms uh, for our audience, uh, including myself, to uh, you know to understand more about the subject. And I know that, you know, I just want to tell the um, the audience a little bit background information. You know, all, all our guests today, um, almost all connected in a way in the Cosmos ecosystem. And obviously, IBC is seen as the backbone of it, um, as it allows different sovereign blockchains to communicate with each other. And this is so meaningful, right? Like we said earlier, um, so we can transport um, assets and, and information so much more. And but obviously it can cause a lot of complexities when implementing it. So um, Bird and um, Charlie just explained a little bit about you know what is ex exactly happening uh, on the things that they do. And if 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 I may, um, Sharon, would you like to kind of unpack a little bit what um, Bird has just said because Bird has um, really given us a very technical version of the story. And 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 since you were also working side by side in, in the Autopers team. And could you just kind of um, explain a little bit, kind of elaborate a little bit more on this uh, milestone too, that um, the Autopers team has been working with the, um, the Cosmos ecosystem? Sure, and I, I want to be transparent that I'm, uh, you know, a, a massive fan and obviously a supporter of our work at Octopus, but at the same time, uh, I'm a solution engineer, so understanding these things is sufficient for me. I I'm not actually doing the uh, the very important and and you know hard work. So um, initially, when we were uh, working towards milestone two, there there wasn't necessarily a you know pre conversation about uh, keeping parity with informal systems. Uh, I believe informal systems used a WASM uh, to help make this function. And uh, we said that that wasn't necessarily tolerable and, you know, Cosmosm is great, but it's not uh, to be used, uh, you know, for, for interchain relationships just yet. It's still an evolving protocol. So having to, uh, you know, upgrade it a lot before using it in prod on the other side of a, you know, cross-chain relationship is not ideal. So um, Milestone 2 was by default a um, harder than just initiating messages between chains operation. Uh, but at the same time, we, we had to do this in some collaboration. So it was uh, really Im impressive to see the team sort of, you know, work quickly and, and not lose uh, many months of work uh, when having to, you know, effectively redo um, a lot of the uh, implementation for this portion of the um, solution. And like Bert was saying, this is a focus on IBC Tau. So this is not um, IBC app yet, meaning that, like he was saying, this is a, you know, it, it's almost like a lower stack communication that you could think of compared to networking. Um, but it's it's not so much that you're thinking about, uh, you know, SYN, ACK, the way that uh, network connections are discussed. 
it's that the um, the understanding of those sin and act messages, it's something that's already pre-built into the TCP protocol, which basically runs the internet, right? When you, you know, call a web page, you're using TCP for the most part, you might pull up UDP calls on the side. But this TCP relationship of, hey, are you there? Hey, can you see me? This sort of like callback, this request for confirmation from, uh, you know, what's called the far end or the other party responding. Um, this is, you know, really incredible progress. It, it is the most important part. Uh, and it, like Burr was saying, it, it really is the, the hardest part is to manage this, you know, uh, sort of base layer that's necessary to keep in contact. And I'm really excited to see what um, IBC app comes from um, this work and, and, you know, not just this work, but uh, people using IBC more frequently these days. Um, but like Charlie was saying, there there has to be a, um, a relationship, uh, an organization, there, there has to be some form of, uh, some form of communication that isn't just the on-chain data. If I'm, you know, if I'm sitting on somebody else's ecosystem and I receive this message, it, you know, it's not just like a letter written in a different language. It, you know, it might as well be encrypted. If I don't know what the purpose of each of those fields of data are, I can make guesses. But, you know, unless there is a conversation in advance that says, hey, this is what this is for. This is the purpose here. This is how this works. Um, then a lot of this stuff just, you know, it, it, it will fall on deaf ears because the implementation will require these sorts of human relationships that by default today aren't easy to make. Um, I don't think they're hard at all. You know, it's it's perfectly comfortable to have one foot in the IBC space, have one foot working mostly with Bitcoin core devs and, you know, have another foot in uh, Hyperledger if that's something that you're into. But this, you know, we'll, we'll, it'll have to uh, get a little bit more uh, sensible. And I don't mean that one person will enforce a standard. I mean that the people who do cross-chain interactions more frequently it's likely that they will end up setting these standards because there there has to be a way that we can communicate on the one hand, uh, you know, off chain as people where we talk about what we're implementing and then on chain as, um, you know, sort of equitable participants that, you know, we have data, we have transparency, you know, we know that we're not just uh, sending black boxes to each other across a network. So, um, to, to Bert's point about the IBC work for Milestone 2, it, it really is incredible stuff. And it had to uh, it had to be done because, like you were saying, this is a you know base layer required for this communication. That's wonderful. Thank you, Sharon, for um, explaining uh, this for us in a, in a really you know, in a way that we could understand. And so like, like you mentioned, you know, this is like really IBC is considered as the kind of golden standard in the in the multi-chain space. So um, as we discussed and also um, Jeff mentioned earlier, you know, what do you think, are, what is the uh, latest development or progress um, in the space? And, and, and also what, what more features can we expect going forward? And Jeff, would you like to, uh, to, to take this one first? Ah uh, yeah, sure. But uh, I think maybe Charlie should be the maybe the best person yeah. to answer this question. But uh, uh, yeah, but, but I would like to share my uh, ideas okay. about this. Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll so go to Charlie so... after you. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, the, actually I have been talked about this uh, uh, before for for the last questions. Uh, well, I think uh, the most exciting one is that the, I think it should be the integer staking that I look forward to most. Uh, so that um, so that Cosmos Hub maybe can be um, somewhat uh, maybe somehow like. Um, uh, be some kind of the shared security that can provide um, security to other chains that can help uh, some small networks that can quickly launch their service um, uh, uh, by the help of the, some big uh, network like Cosmos Hub or maybe other networks. So I think that's a quite um, a quite important feature, and this is quite uh, and also quite different from the what the Polkadot network and other network uh, they are doing because um, because you know they are uh, when a network need to uh, cross chain with others like in. The A Polkadot network should be uh, maybe to um, how to say that to buy some uh, uh, slot, right? Uh, slot to um, to get this kind. Of Of the ability to talk with others, uh, um, but uh, Cosmos uh, just to uh, uh, the, the the target or maybe the idea is different. Uh, that is to help the uh, some small networks that can grow, and so the whole ecosystem could develop uh, to get a, a better development. By the help of this kind of design, so that's quite different, and so so that's maybe the uh, and also uh, yeah and also another uh, very important feature that the atom stakers can get rewards by helping this kind of the small networks. So I think that's uh, quite uh, I'm quite looking forward to that, and besides that, and also I'm quite look forward to some of maybe the um, uh, features or particles on the application level, like maybe the. NFT transfer. Although there's uh, has been some of the bridge uh, crossing bridge that uh, can transfer some of the NFT between like the between the Ethereum between the uh, maybe like uh, and Solana and BSC and other networks. But I think uh, IBC particles can uh, do this kind of NFT crossing transfer can do even more trustless and permissionless way. And IBC particle actually in my uh, um, in my perspective I think is more has the uh, more scalabilities that can help uh, maybe later on uh, other applications can building also uh, upon this kind of the uh, token transfers maybe like uh, others uh, like the smart contract can also interact with uh, maybe simple uh, the uh, the fungible token or maybe non fungible token transfer so later on maybe like um, some DeFi particle or maybe some NFT lending particle can also leverage this can building the maybe sorry i think i've been muted oh sorry about that i think I, we're back oh, yeah. yeah yeah i, I think there's some te technical difficulties i think yeah, please <laughs> continue jeff yeah sorry about that
Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure. We'll, 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 uh, we both have been talk, talk, talk before. But yeah. But uh, but uh, I just in summary, I think uh, the most uh, uh, exciting feature is uh, interchange staking, and also some uh, uh, some of the particles on the uh, application level, like the NFT coin transfer, and also uh, by the help maybe like the interchange account and other features. All the applications uh, combinations can uh, build upon this. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. I think that's a really great point. And and now we have good news. We have Adi with us now. Hi, Adi. Hey there. Thanks for the patience with me. <laughs> okay, better late than never. Um. So okay. Um. Before we we we, we go to Charlie and Adi, would you like to just um, just just say hi to the audience and 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 tell uh, tell people a little bit more about yourself? Just just a, just a quick intro. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for, for the opportunity. Uh, let's see, I work with Informal. We're a cooperative. We're one of the core entities in the in the ecosystem, in the co Cosmos ecosystem, I would say, besides Interchain, where, where Charlie is from, uh, with. Uh, we are the, the other organization that is also um, working on the core parts of the, of the whole development uh, stack. And I've been with the informal for two years and a half. Uh, we're, uh, I said it already, we're structured as a cooperative and I'm part of uh, the team that maintains the Hermes IBC relayer. So I work actually quite closely with uh, the IBC teams that are, that handle the on-chain part of IBC and my team is basically handling the off-chain part, the, the relayer part. And that would be it, I would say. Okay, thank you, Adi. Thank you. Um, so we were just saying earlier um, about, I think, uh, about the uh, the question of um, the IBC standard and what is the latest um, development and progress um, in in the. Chain space and 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 Jeff just share his view, but I think. Um, Charlie definitely has the um, has one of the best knowledge in from the Interchain Foundation. So, um, Charlie, would you like to share your 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 views on this question? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think uh, at a high level, the the upcoming features that we are working on, or the one we just released, uh, the ones that we are releasing at the moment. Um, they're all going towards pushing the narrative that, as I said before, we're trying to we're trying to recognize that the narrative of, you know, having like different chains and then you bridge from one chain to another, you know, this is all like this is all what's happening at the moment. But we kind of recognize that this is not a long term sustainable solution, you know, like at some point you don't want to have to maintain a, a single bridge or bespoke bridge to every single other ecosystem. And, you know, when there's a technical upgrade, make sure that you upgrade every single bridge, uh, you know, like make custom changes. Like at some point you want to have a standard that you can kind of rely on and say, OK, this is going to help me interact um, across many ecosystems. And particularly as an application developer or even as, you know, like a, as a business person, as someone who's thinking about product models, you really want to think about interoperability not as a feature or not as you know, like something you need to dedicate a bunch of resources to, but something that you can even take for granted as a primitive. So we are starting to see some of these product models now in the Cosmos Interchain ecosystem. 
Osmosis being, of course, the first one, Interchain Dex, but, you know, Quicksilver with Interchain uh, Aggregation. Jeffrey mentioned uh, liquid staking or, or kind of Interchain staking. Um, a lot of these product models are designed because we now have a stable enough interoperability protocol that we can really start to think about interoperability as a primitive. And so one of the features that we just released, Interchain Accounts, is, is basically something that allows one chain to take a transaction and execute it on another chain. And the way that it, it kind of, you can think about it is something like if you have, uh, if you have each chain becoming something like an API or service endpoint, um, that another chain, that another application chain can use to bring anything, you know, data, um, anything from data to other executable transactions, uh, to, to really be able to like, leverage uh, each of these application specific chains as almost like a microservice or API service endpoint. Um, and so rather than having to ship around all of your assets from chain to chain and, you know, perform some sort of action on them, you can take these actions and bring them directly to where the assets are already placed so that as a user, instead of having to open up three different websites when I want to, you know, like when I want to move an asset from one chain to another and then put into a liquidity pool, et cetera, that sometimes takes three different user interfaces and potentially even three different wallets because I need to I need to log in as a user. And, and right now all of this responsibility has been offloaded to the user. But what we want to enable with IBC and with the upcoming features is so that as, as in Web2 Internet, um, the user is not the one which is pushing the data around. It's like in the backend services, the chains are able to push the data around and really execute a full product flow across uh, a, across an interoperable ecosystem without ever having to expose that to the user. So maybe let me ask Charlie a question that uh, like uh, when can we uh, experience that interchain account applications on the maybe end user level? Um, yeah, so I mean, one of the one of the um, products I just mentioned, uh, Quicksilver, they're not they're not live yet, but I expect them to, or you know, I, I don't want to speak for the, for the Quicksilver team, but um, they are approaching launch date, I think, fairly soon, um, and being able to, uh, and they would be using interchain accounts to kind of bring um, kind of like you know, one insure ag other aggregation services and the Ethereum ecosystem, uh, bring this to the entire interchain. As well, um, there are works in progress from chains like Sommelier and Osmosis. At the moment, Sommelier, for example, has reinvestment strategies where they interact with uh, different liquidity pools on, on let's say, Uniswap um, to kind of like uh, provide a curated investment product for a user. Um, and using interchain accounts, they could, instead of having, like I said before, need requiring their user to kind of move the chain, uh, move their tokens from one chain to another in different UIs, they could, let's say, allow a user to access a financial product like a reinvestment strategy directly in Osmosis liquid, liquidity pools uh, through interchain accounts. So I think, uh, you know, the IBC V3 was just, we just released it um, last month, and I think it's going to take a little bit of time for the products to be built and really like testing integration to, to happen. But I expect that before the end of this year, we will definitely be able as end users to experience this uh, interchain uh, native product model. Okay, thank you, Charlie. Thank you. Um, let's, let's go back to, to Adi for um, just just would like to, to understand where do you think we stand? Um, in terms of in terms of 
multi-chain ecosystem, um, what kind of stage do you think we are? And what are the major challenges uh, facing this facing this space? With particularly IBC, for example. I would say that uh, actually I am, me and my team are at the, you could call it the bottom layer of the stack. So the place where the ecosystem is right now is figuring out what the developer uh, stack looks like. So uh, all of these um, user journeys that Charlie just spoke about, uh, Quicksilver, Sommelier, Interchain accounts, uh, these are user-facing, front-end-facing, let's say. Uh, and that those are products that application-specific blockchains are building. And those products will be shielding users from the details of IBC. So when we speak about IBC, we actually uh, tend to ignore front-end users because the users of IBC are not front-end users, people with their wallets and so on. Actually, the users of IBC are applications themselves. So I think that's important to clarify that uh, when we talk about, oh, what are some IBC products or where is IBC heading and what is IBC doing? Uh, it, it usually involves what do applications need from IBC as a primitive so that applications can build their own custom uh, journeys, such as Quicksilver, such as Sonalia and, and others. So there's, there's really three layers of the stack. There's front-end users who should be in an ideal world, and that's the world we're headed. They should be shielded from IBC. It's just like when you buy a subscription to internet, you do not have to configure your TCP address. You do not have to configure your DNS server. You, you, are, you, you are ignorant of all, all of those. You can just go to the browser and you can navigate. The, the browser is the product, product you are interacting with or, or the applications that connect online. Uh, so you can ignore all of the details of the infrastructure that is underlying uh, the whole internet. Uh, and the same is happening with IBC. There are layers built on top of IBC, and those layers are just like the browser. And those layers are, again, Quicksilver Somalia. Uh, so I think that is where we're headed. We're headed to a world where IBC is becoming this, uh, exactly actually like, like Char Charlie started her answer. It's uh, interoperability is not a feature. It's, it's actually just a primitive that is hidden, and it's taken for granted. Uh, because it's now at the level where it's mature enough so that applications can understand it, application developers can understand it, and they feel more comfortable to build with. Um, I, I would say that is uh, that is one part of the answer, at least from my point of view. Thank you, Adi. I think that is really very nice of you to clarify that with us. So, in terms of the base layer, that is what you, you you and your team you are the you are the core kind of core development development team for Cosmos, right? So. Um, where do you think we are at the base level? Do you think we are ready um, to kind of, in terms of infrastructure for IBC, are we already like overcome all these technical challenges and all that and ready for the application layer to kind of take off? I would say uh, not yet, the brief answer. Uh, so that's a very good question because we, we can go into a lot of details on on, on all the ways in, in which it's not ready. Um, the, I, I think everyone who is involved in the in the in the effort there, everyone understands what the uh, what the stake is and what we're building and what we're doing. And it's just that it's just that it takes a lot of time. It, it's it's not easy to get these technologies. Um, 
let's say, easy to use for everyone because you need to build primitives, you need to build understanding, confidence in them, you need to test them over and over again. And the right primitives are not always the ones that we first tried to build. Uh, I think if, if I am to be a bit more concrete, uh, a couple of things that do need to mature out are making uh, relaying services uh, profitable, uh, let's say business. Maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be a business, but at least in some way profitable for those who are relaying. So just like when you pay for an internet subscription, you are actually paying for those services. Uh, right now, no one is paying for uh, the relayer services. It is the community pools. It is relayer operators from their own pockets. So this is one thing that everyone is aware about and we're all working on it and we're trying to find ways. Uh, so we're iterating on the solution, but there is no clear solution yet uh, on, on how to make uh, relayer services profitable or at least uh, cover their costs. And if I was to be concrete with the second example uh, that needs to be more mature, it would be uh, the operators themselves they need to be more reliable. So just like we have validators and there is a hundred validators for every chain, uh, there has to be 10, if not maybe more than 10, uh, relayer operators. And currently there's just a handful of them. This ties in to the fact that it's not profitable to be a relayer operator, whereas it is very profitable to be a validator because you can generate uh, uh, based based on your amount of delegations, you can generate profit. But being a, a relayer operator, you don't have such a source of revenue. And, uh, and that doesn't incentivize those who are active in that area to be very uh, mature and professional about their service. So we need more validators who are interested in relaying and we need to incentivize them to do a good job. Uh, I would say that that's that's the two basic problems and there's a lot more to say there, um, but I, I, I will stop there. No, I think that's a really great point. And so if we, we're going to put a kind of estimation in terms of time frame, how long do you think it would take for us to, to really get ready to move up to the next level? I think that actually the move to the next level is happening in parallel with the maturing out of the bottom layer. I think these are all overlapped efforts 
and each effort at a certain layer is informing the efforts underneath or above it. Uh, so it's a very much concerted effort on, on all fronts. Uh, if, if I were to actually put, an, put a date or a timeline on it, I think that would be very, very difficult and it would be, uh, it would be risky of me to say anything, but I could, I, I would say that at the point where applications can just spin up IPC connected chains, we are, uh, probably less than half a year away from that, but it doesn't include uh, also relaying on, on these new spin-up chains. So currently it's very, very easy to spin up a chain, it's just that it's not connected to IBC. So the next step is to make it easy to connect it to IBC. Uh, that's step one. Step two is make it uh, also profitable for those who actually connected to, to ensure the connection is healthy and reliable. So this, uh, this could take at least six months and probably more than a year if uh, if I was to put a number on it. I just want to um, maybe Thank also you. clarify on the current um, cool. the current situation for relayer monetization, um, which is that uh, right now, as Adi stated before, there's no, I guess what he, what he meant is that there's no in-protocol incentivization, as in, um, you know, like in the case of Ethereum, you, if you have there, there was like a product model called meta transactions and a relayer set up there. And uh, so someone could, you could basically pack up a transaction and someone would submit that transaction for you and you could give them a tip on top of that. Um, this was not baked into the IPC protocol um, whenever we did the first design. However, uh, the in-protocol incentivization feature is in the final beta um, release and we, we expect to see a release candidate or a final version in the next few weeks. So before this comes out, there has been uh, a few different ways that relayer operators have been able to finance themselves. But as Audi mentioned before, it largely has to do with their validate their validator setup. As in, you know, take running a relayer similarly to running a validator requires some technical know-how and uh, requires someone who's able to, you know, debug problems and see if if there are packets still in the channel, etc. And so um Right now, relayer operators have been have been using relaying as a service, really, to get delegations from the communities that they support. Um, where, although this is, you know, a way that seems to be working right now for the relayer operators, we obviously recognize that the need the need for an in protocol way for, you know, like someone sending a packet to be able to give a tip or potentially even a chain uh, to be able to attach these tips onto the packets as they're sent out so that relayers are able to pick up um, a certain amount of money per packet that they relay. And so we hope that the combination of having this in-protocol feature as well as encouraging these off-chain delegation strategies from different chains will be able to sustain uh, to be able to provide a profitable um, relayer model together. Agree. I, I, I don't want to um, act like what you guys are saying is invalid in any way because it's not at all. And I, I appreciate that we're, we're getting closer to that stage where you don't have to necessarily understand, uh, you know, the, the guts of cross-chain communication or even, as you're saying, the, you know, more detailed economics that go into a, a relayer structure between chains. Um, but I don't want to neglect some of the, the work that our great peers are doing um, to help make that uh, primitive make more sense across multiple ecosystems. Uh, for instance, Data Chain is a, a entity that I'm, I'm happy to refer to that does things for um, Hyperledger that's also working on an Ethereum IBC client. Like they're 
there is a um, you know in the background motivation happening that we all basically agree that the the work happening at the Interchain Foundation is is worth following. It's it's worth the um, you know extra legwork to sort of keep up with important changes like the ability to you know send extra uh, to a, a relayer just you know for them to to make a, a sustainable model for them. But um, I just I didn't want to leave on the table that, you know, Hyperledger and Ethereum are part of this conversation. And usually when we have this conversation, it's very much about Cosmos because Cosmos is the root of, uh, you know, of, of IBC, of, of this um, standard. So I just didn't want to neglect um, some of the, the fringes of that uh, because I, I think that stuff's a little bit more important than we give it credit for. You know, if. Um, I have a corporate client coming to me today and saying, hey, I would like XYZ blockchain solution. It's pretty rare that something like Polkadot, Cosmos, um, or even Ethereum is really the right decision for them because if they're private entities, the you know going fully transparent, the going fully public with their infrastructure, it's not something they're frequently willing to do. They should, but it's, it's not always possible. So for that reason, I, I'm really just happy to include in the conversation things like Quarter uh, and Hyperledger, because even though uh, these are not things that I want as part of my personal life and my assets, my digital assets, I think that it's really important that you know those kinds of structures be able to use the same communication and, and use these same tools that we're referring to. You know, if there's uh, someone at a you know Web two unicorn who wants to integrate with Cosmos, I want to see that happen. You know, I don't necessarily need to drag them into building their own chain to make that happen. I, I think that's really exciting stuff, especially along the lines of what Charlie and, and Jeffrey and Addy were referring to earlier. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's a great point. The IBC for Enterprise is completely something that uh, that we also find very valuable. And thanks for picking that up, Sheldon. Yeah, I think that's yeah, really and, and, great. Yeah, go ahead, Sheldon. Sure, and I just I don't mean to to sound like the guy who's worked in the Fortune 500 for ten years, and therefore that's what I prefer. Um, I just I know what it is to say that there is. Um, you know, value for the little guy that there is the, you know, like we were saying that there isn't a necessity to purchase an auction slot uh, to be able to talk to other chains. But this, um, you know, the the model where we can only exist as cypherpunks, it's, it, it's not what's happening. It's just a, you know, representation that people put forward of, of how we're communicating. That's not at all true. So, you know, appreciate the support. It's just, um, it, it's it's great to you know, include that kind of logic, not because I have a preference for corporations. I'm very mm -hmm. proud that I'm, you know, leaving traditional IT. Uh, but the, um, you know, the, the promise of being able to integrate and cross over that threshold to Web2, I, I think that's very important as well. Yeah, definitely. And okay, so I think we are reaching a little bit over time now, but I think, I will, you know, we can't just leave uh, the panel without this, without discussing the... The topic of security, you know, like um, Vitalik actually has voiced alarm earlier this year on the fundamental security limits of bridges. I know that, you know, obviously the multi-chain, like, like Charlie said, um, the multi-chain reality is much more than just sending um, stuff across, the, across bridges. But, um, but that is really an important kind of a big concern uh, when people talk about multi-chain ecosystem. So I wonder what is your take on this and, and what do you think are the kind of solution for for the security concern on on bridges, cross-train bridges? Um, Charlie, would you like to take the question first? Sure. Um, I guess I would like to start by clarifying that um, 
that we don't actually consider IBC to be a bridge. Um, the reason we don't consider IBC to be a bridge is that bridges are, are um, I mean, they can be, you know, they can be a number of different forms. They can be a smart contract. They can be a kind of uh, almost separate own blockchain. But fundamentally, bridges are secured by trusted parties, um, whether or not that's a validator set, whether or not that's a set of observers or watchers, etc. Um, fundamentally, what you're doing is that when you pass an asset over a bridge, you kind of trust that bridge to, uh, one, either verify that that transaction actually happened on the sending chain. Um, and so you, you have to trust the bridge to verify that. Or two, in the case of liquidity pool based bridges, you basically trust the bridge to kind of keep your money safe. Um, in the case of IBC, we talk a lot more about being a general interoperability protocol, specifically because we don't have this kind of trusted architecture. Um, and we are not only dealing with asset passing, we're really allowing, um, as, as many people have said already in this Twitter space, allowing a way for chains to communicate to each other. If they want to pass assets, that's fine. If they want to uh, execute transactions, that's fine. And so the way we allow that is each chain has almost like a snapshot of the other chain's consensus uh, that allows them to actually know, hey, I'm talking to the chain that I think I'm talking to. And whenever I receive a packet from them, I know that they've actually sent this packet because in my photo of them, it shows that they've sent this packet. And so the chain itself handles packet verification in a way that I think um, it really is the security concerns of Vitalik, I think, are valid when you talk about validator or trusted bridge setups. But I really don't think they're applicable in the case of IBC uh, or light client based interoperability protocols. Thank you, Charlie. Ardi, what would you like to what, what would you like to comment on this? I will just uh, echo what everything that Charlie said. Uh, there's there's a lot more to say there, but she she nailed it on the head. That's that's the best summary ever. Yeah, I also think so. And anyone who has anything to add? Um, and and then, if not, we, we will open the floor to um, to the audience. Yeah, Sheldon, go ahead. Yeah, Charlie, there's, uh, there's one I'd, I'd like to ask you, just sort of a, a sanity check on this um, uh, scenario, because I, I've mentioned this before in talks, and um, I, I'd love to just get your feedback on this. Um, the way that you're, you know, referring to cross-chain accountability, I, I think this is really one of the most important things about IBC and, and one of the reasons why it shouldn't just be, you know, viewed as a sort of generic bridging protocol the way it, it frequently is. Um, but to your point about accountability, um, <coughs> excuse me, there, there is only one um, mechanism for that today, and, and it is between two uh, peers. So there there is not a um, so there's not such thing as a, a triple endpoint VPN uh, today. If you want to, you know, have a VPN with multiple endpoints, you're effectively switching between them. Is it possible to bring up uh, IPC phase one, peer, uh, sorry, IP, uh, IPsec phase one peers and then not complete a VPN with them? Yes. Do I suggest that for IBC? No, it doesn't really make sense. But at the same time, if you were trying to use an IBC relationship uh, across two hops, as in you have IBC compatibility between something like uh, Cosmos and Osmosis, but maybe you don't have it for some reason because uh, Osmosis has adopted a special feature. So it's not available between Polkadot and um, 
uh, osmosis directly, so you have to go through Cosmos. Um, for this uh, type of problem, is it reasonable to say that IBC isn't, not necessarily capable, but isn't designed to uh, target accountability on two different chains? It is designed between two endpoints, and therefore there isn't a uh, direct accountability mechanism between two IBC endpoints, uh, you know, dedicated to one asset in one ecosystem. Is that sane? Um, I think maybe just I can try to or rephrase the question to see if I got it right. Um, so I'm, I'm when I I guess you're asking about if let's say I have an application. Okay, let's say in the in the kind of like internet metaphor. So uh, we have the transfer layer, which is TCP. TCP IP, cool. We connect it to Polkadot, we connect it to Osmosis, and we have the Cosmos Hub. They're all connected through IBC transport layer. What you're saying is that if there is, let's say, an application on Osmosis, like Osmosis has a um, a special data type, which is a um, a special, let's say it's not an NFT or a fungible token, but some other special token type. They've created on Osmosis. Cosmos Hub understands it because they also implemented the application standard, but Polkadot doesn't implement it. If you try to send this new token type from Osmosis to Polkadot, um, is this 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 is the scenario that you're talking about? Yes, but it, it's not so much will the token be able to pass in that in that use case. I'm sure that it wouldn't, or that it would, but it would be you know watered down, ineffective, you know, not really serve the purpose. The question is about accountability because the um, the endpoints, the way that IBC works as an accountability protocol, it's designed for two endpoints. It's not designed for one of those endpoints to pick up another IBC relationship about that same asset. You would effectively have uh, to wrap it. Yeah, I see. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think what you're talking about is actually um, it's going to be the basis of one of our upcoming features uh, towards the end of our roadmap for this year. Uh, we call it multi-hop routing. So basically the idea is that um, Cosmos Hub has a photo of Polkadot and it has a photo of Osmosis. Osmosis right now would have also a Polkadot photo and vice versa if they want to talk to each other. But let's say like we want to, we want the situation where we, we want to enable Osmosis to pass something to Polkadot, but because they are both connected to Cosmos Hub, they can kind of just turn to Cosmos Hub and say, hey, does this photo look like Polkadot or does this photo look like Osmosis? And Cosmos Hub would kind of be able to be the source of accountability for both of those chains because it it knows kind of the security model of both of those chains. Is that more accurate? I mean, that, that yes, and that helps me know that my sanity check was necessary because I was off by just a little bit. Thank you so much for, for clearing that up for me because that's really cool to know and I need to keep a better eye on y'all's roadmap. Yeah, I mean, you know, like it's also we 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 are going to work on communicating this a little bit more loudly, loudly. But yeah, multi-hop routing is and exactly what I just described, this idea that, you know, a client in the middle, which is connected to a lot of these chains, can serve as a source of truth for uh, for not not that you have to trust the chain itself, but that you don't have to replicate all of these clients across all of these chains. Um, I think it'll help the relayer story a lot. The relayers don't have to update these snapshots all the time. Um, and also you you kind of like allow a case where, yeah, one, where one chain can really help in this routing story uh, as the interchain grows and gets more complex and more connections are necessary. So yeah, you can uh, look forward to reading our spec in the upcoming quarter. Very cool. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Yeah.
Thank you so much. Okay, I think um, let's just open the floor for a little bit, and then I, I know that we're already um, past our like one hour window. But um, since uh, we have so so many amazing guests today with us, and and let's just um, okay, we already have um, audience raise their hands. Okay, let's invite them over, um, and we can just kind of extend our session for another five to ten minutes. Okay. Hi, Tova. Do you have a question? Yeah, I think there seems to be some connection problems. We have this um, Tovo from the audience, uh, um, but it's a global spaces, right? Are you yeah. There? Yeah. So I'm not sure is is my my connection or yeah. People are coming from everywhere, and and thank you so much, people, all the friends in the audience. Thank you for tuning in and I hoped you learn a lot like me and um, if you have anything if you have any questions for our um, our speakers today or you have something to share in in the topic please just raise your hand and we'll invite you um, to share your insight with us okay we have another right. friend hi Mike Not, not sure whether there's um technical difficulties with the spaces right now since um people from the audience we cannot hear you and and, and you are in the connecting process okay we have one more speaker request let's see Suk. Hey, hi. Can you guys hear anything? I, I can't hear anything. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. I could hear it. Oh, sorry, so it's my problem. Okay, okay. Probably I need to come back again. Okay. Hey, hi, Alfred. Is that Toval? Toval? Uh, it might be Sukunder. Uh, please. Uh, yes, oh. welcome. How are you? Welcome. Please, what's your question? I'm Indian from Punjab. Okay. Um, any any questions for the speakers? 
No, bro. Thanks. Okay. Uh, Tabal, did you have a question for us? Um, Vic English. Sorry, I think okay. my microphone might be working now. Can you, okay. guys, um, you can hear me? Yes, yes, Mike, we can hear you now. Do you have a question for us? Thanks for joining. Yeah, no, no thank you for having me. Uh, I've listened to the last few panels that you guys have had, and this is definitely the most technical one. So I'm very far behind, but I'm so much more excited that I actually dig in and learn so much more from this. So thank you, guys. Um, I guess my question is, like, when you're, when you're talking about these people that are validating, like, who validates the validators? <laughs> In yeah, my opinion, yeah, it sounds yeah, like you know, it's it's two people just saying, "Hey, this person's qualified to validate these packets moving," but who actually is moderating it to make sure that they themselves are qualified? Yes, I am an Indian Sikh boy. Okay, I, I think it's a, a valid question. Who validates the validators, right? I, I like the way you posed that, Mike. Thanks for the question. Um, so in order to be a validator on any one chain, you have to um, meet certain technical prerequisites. They, you know, they start with hardware, they end with, you know, standing up code in a functional manner. So um, to, your, to answer your question, there is not a, you know, registration process, there's not a, a central controller you know, once you uh, come online and, and connect to the protocol, you, you can participate even if you aren't, let's say, uh, qualified. So it's not that you're, you're reaching for this concept necessarily. I just had to, you know, cover that as a basic. Um, but the, um, the larger question of, of validating validators, it's based on pre-existing protocols. So uh, the most common of these is Byzantine fault tolerance, which is basically a, in a very rough sense that if uh, two thirds of the people validating transactions agree on what a transaction is, then that is what the transaction is. So the more uh, well-shaped answer to your question, I think, is that the majority answers and decides, hey, is this valid? Um, there is positioning available where you could be producing invalid transactions for quite a while, but I think most, um, most chains sort of don't uh, take kindly to that. So that doesn't just mean that you'd be ignored as part of consensus. It means that over time, uh, you wouldn't be able to keep consensus because you're trying to maintain a, uh, maintain a chain that is so different from what everybody else is uh, doing. So that sort of malicious activity takes a lot of effort and a lot of time. Um, I haven't seen it happen in a meaningful way, um, not any time recently, at least. There was some like block wars kind of stuff in Bitcoin back in the day. But um, the... Uh, the larger answer to your question about who validates the validators, it is other validators, but it's a majority consensus that drives them. So there's always room for that minority to sort of uh, fail and make mistakes, but they're just not included as, uh, you know, genuine trustworthy participants per block. So they can always, you know, turn over on the next block and just participate equitably and, you know, maintain consensus the way everybody else is. And, you know, it's very common to uh, to stick in consensus because sticking out of it for so long is not just uh, not ideal. It's, you know, it's it's to your disadvantage as a validator. I guess maybe one thing to add, um, I'm I'm much more familiar with how Cosmos SDK handles validation. Um, but I, I think generically it's you can kind of say across the board that um, that if you are not part of this. So the validator set is obviously having a distributed validator set is something that 
is set up by the chain community and ecosystem. And so, yeah, it, it's important to make sure that you have validators that are not going to be incentivized to collude. Um, if you control over a significant percentage of the validator set, you could control the chain of the state of the chain. But in the case that you're not, uh, you know, controlling at least a third of the validator set, which for a lot of ecosystems would be very, very, very difficult to do. Um, not only as Sheldon said, you, you are going to result in your validator kind of like getting disqualified from the set, but most chain ecosystems implement slashing. So as a validator, I have to kind of put a deposit on my node of a certain amount of money or, you know, crypto, um, saying like, okay, I'm going to vouch that I'm going to be a, uh, honest validator by depositing this amount of money onto my node. And if I do something that's malicious, if I try to submit a false state, that deposit will be slashed. And so this is also another financial way for people to effectively enforce honesty of validators. That's actually really cool. So basically what you're saying is there's obviously the system of checks and balances that, you know, everyone keeps each other honest, but also you essentially have to buy in. So there's, again, that, that whole, you know, to disincentivize like uh, corruption. That's that answered a lot of my questions. Thank you so much. Yeah, I definitely left out skin in the game, and that's a pretty important mechanism for you know incentive. You know, uh, what's the word? Uh, carrot and stick. So, thank you, Charlie. Very uh, very astutely said. I definitely left that out. Um, thank you for your question, Mike. More question. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, it's from Sharon Hot. I think. Uh, yeah, if you would like to go on on your question. Sharon Hart. Okay, if we can't hear Chara, I'm, I'm not sure um, whether there's some Twitter spaces kind of connection issues or whether you guys can hear me at all. Yeah, we can You're hear okay. You. Okay, okay, cool. I think we are, we are, it's about time. Guys, thank you so much for asking the questions and sharing. And um, we, are, we are coming back next Thursday at the same time. And thank you so much for all the speakers today. And, and I learned so much from you guys. And uh, also all the friends in the audience, thank you for listening in, asking questions and joining us. And please feel free to uh, follow all the speakers on the stage. And you can also turn on the notification. So when we have uh, future events and, and everything, you, you, you are the first one to know. Um, and like I said earlier, we are coming back um, every week, Thursday, the same time, which is 9 p.m. GMT plus 8 um, for Asia. And depending on where you are. So um, if you're free, just um, drop by. And and also let us know what what kind of topics we would like to um, to discuss and who are the guests you would like us to invite uh, on the panel and feel free to reach out to us to me and DM me and and also follow all the speakers and learn about the Web three and beyond and thank you so much for for tuning in with us tonight um, and have a nice day or have a nice evening have a nice have a nice night <laughs> and. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much to our guests. Thank you. Thank you, Shadon. Thank, Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Mark Luanam. Thanks, Phoebe. Good to meet all okay. of you. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Okay.
See you soon. Okay, bye. Bye.